Well, this is the perfect time of year to be studying this psalm because undoubtedly, and many uh, commentators agree, that this psalm was composed for use during the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this Feast of Tabernacles was one of three pilgrimage feasts that the people of God uh, had that they, where they were called to travel to Jerusalem. And in this particular feast, they were called to live in booths or tabernacles, uh, temporary structures, and this lasted for a week. Now, these booths or these little tabernacles had a twofold purpose. First, it was uh, meant to remind them uh, or mimic the structures that farmers typically, typically dwelt in during the harvest and sometimes this feast is referred to as the Feast of Ingathering. It was a, a big harvest festival. It's the time of year when the, when the crops were brought in and, and people were giving thanks to God for that during this feast. Now also, uh, the, the, uh, the little tabernacles or booths in which the people stayed in during this feast were also meant to remind the people of those temporary dwellings that they had while they wandered through the desert on the Exodus. And God provided for his people through their wanderings in the desert and brought them to the promised land. So they were to give thanks to God uh, during this feast for the harvest, for his great deliverance for them, and for all the provisions that he makes on the behalf of his people. Now the Feast of Tabernacles this year begins next week. Uh, this time next week, just in seven days, September the 23rd in the evening. So it's the perfect time of year to be thinking about this psalm that was written for the Feast of Tabernacles, most likely. But this psalm also is one of only three psalms that mention the word atonement, the word of atonement. And the Day of Atonement, uh, or Yom Kippur, if you, uh, if you follow the Hebrew, uh, is five days prior to the Feast of Tabernacles, which makes it Tuesday. It starts Tuesday evening at sundown this week, the 18th. So again, perfect time of year to be thinking about Psalm uh, 65. Uh, so it would have been on the mind of the psalmist uh, as he composed this psalm, the, 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 the Day of Atonement and, and the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, that Day of Atonement, described in Leviticus 16. Uh, the, the, it was a time when the high priest took a bull and two goats and he sacrificed the bull for his own sins and the sins of his house. And then he sacrificed one of the goats to atone for the sins of the people. And that blood was taken and sprinkled on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant inside the Holy of Holies. So once a year, the high priest entered the Holy of Holies and sprinkled this blood of that sacrifice of that goat uh, on the Ark of the Covenant. The, the Ark of the Covenant uh, held the law, the Ten Commandments, the two stone tablets. And when that blood was sprinkled over, it, it was meant to cover, cover the sins of the people because the commandments had been broken. So when God looks down, he sees the blood of the sacrifice covering over the sins of the people. 
Now the other goat in this process was not killed, but the priest would go and lay his hands on the head of this live goat and he would confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he, in essence, put them on the head of the goat. That's where we get the word scapegoat. A scapegoat is someone you blame for something. Well, the term is a biblical term, and this is, what it, this is where it came from, Leviticus 16. So all the sin was placed on the head of the goat, and it was released into the wilderness. So the sins are covered by the sacrifice, and the sin is taken away, placed upon a substitute. And, it, and the substitute goes away into the wilderness to be seen no more. So this, this day of atonement that begins this week, and then the subsequent festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, makes Psalm 65, as I said, the perfect psalm for us to deliberate upon this morning. Now, of course, the purpose in looking at these psalms and the particular ones that we've chosen is because we are thinking about what it means to be blessed according to Scripture. You know, a lot of people think about being blessed, and we tend to think in uh, material possessions in our culture uh, that we're blessed if we have these material possessions. And there are other things that we refer to as being blessed. But, but what does the Bible say about being blessed? Because often when the Bible talks about being blessed, it, it talks about blessings that, are, that maybe we wouldn't consider blessings. That maybe, we, maybe we have overlooked as blessings. And I think that's the case here in Psalm 65. Because in verse 4 it says, Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. To be allowed to be near God in worship and in prayer is the blessing described here. We might refer to it as communion with God or fellowship with God. Having a relationship with God. That's what uh, the psalmist David here is saying is, is what it means to be blessed. To be able to come and have a relationship with God is certainly a crowning blessing for a believer. Now the temptation that I, that I believe is addressed here in this psalm that we should think about as we think about Psalm 65 is the temptation to not appreciate or to take for granted the access that we have, the fellowship with God that we have in Christ. We tend to not think much about it, especially on Sunday mornings when we're coming and gathering with the people of God to worship, as this psalm is talking about. The example before us tells us how we should appreciate the privilege and the, uh, the privilege of fellowship with God and how we should go about enjoying that privilege. Well, let's put ourselves in the mind and the heart of the psalmist here, David. Uh, it seems to me that, that, you know, applying logic to it, that he probably composed this psalm somewhere between the Day of Atonement and the beginning of the Feast of Tabernacles. Somewhere between, say, next Wednesday and Saturday. Somewhere in there, after the Day of Atonement, he, he sits down to write a psalm for the Feast of Tabernacles, and Psalm 65 is the result. Now that's speculation, I can't prove that, but I think as we travel through, especially these first four verses, you'll see that there's some logic to what I'm saying. So let's put ourselves in David's mind and heart uh, and, and between the Feast of 
the, the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. So he's fresh off the Day of Atonement when the sins of God's people were covered and removed. And David anticipates the great feast in Jerusalem when thousands of people will arrive to give thanks and praise to God for their provision for them. It's coming. The big festival's coming. People are making preparations. People are, are gearing up to travel to Jerusalem for this big feast. And David is preparing himself as well. So if you look at verse 1, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. Now verse 1 literally says, Praise waits for you in silence in Zion. And Zion is Jerusalem, of course. Now he's thinking here, David is thinking here about the worship that is going to be taking place in a few days, a few hours' time there in Jerusalem. And he personifies praise. It's like a, it's like a person sitting there in silence. And, and it's waiting for that time when it needs to rise up and, and sing. To rise up and shout for joy to the Lord. And to pray and to do all those things that you do in worship. But right now, praise is waiting. Praise is waiting. So there's a sense of anticipation that David has. Praise is going to wake up and praise is going to become loud in a few days or a few hours. But right now it's waiting. It's, it's waiting and it is coming. And that's why the translators have said praise is due to you. It's, it's coming. It's going to happen. And so he is anticipating the eruption as the people bring their worship to the Lord. To you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. See, they're all coming to Jerusalem to worship. And you can sense David's excitement as he looks forward to worship. He can't wait for it to explode and he join in. And he's composing this psalm to join in that worship. Now the first point that I want to make, the first application point that I want to make is this, this question. Do we anticipate and look forward to worship with joy, with excitement. Now when I was a, a child, elementary school age, a little older elementary, my bedroom was across the hall from my parents' bedroom. And I can remember waking up on Sunday morning and, and I would hardly turn over. You know, I was, I was awake, but I didn't want to make any noise because I didn't want to wake up my parents for fear that they would take us to church. Just be quiet so maybe they'll oversleep and we won't have to go. It's a terrible, terrible attitude. It was the attitude of someone who did not know and love the Lord. Now corporate worship should be highly anticipated. The highlight of the week in the life of the believer. Blessed is the one whom God chooses and brings near, David says. Now in corporate worship, that's what we're doing. We're coming near to God. We have fellowship with Him. We have the opportunity to tell Him how much we love Him and how much we appreciate Him and the good gifts that He has showered on us. Do you realize that? Or does God seem distant even as you sit here? Is getting to church each week a chore for you? Is it 
Is it drudgery? And are you happy when it's over? Can you not, you can already taste the roast in the oven and you can't wait to get to the meal. Or do you see it as a feast day of the soul? That's how the Puritans used to put it. A feast day of the soul. A day to be anticipated, a day of joy, a day of coming together with God's people, of singing praise to God, of lifting our voice to Him in thanksgiving, of hearing from Him and listening to Him and hearing from His Word. That's what it should be all about. Or maybe you haven't thought much about it at all. I fear that might be the case uh, for a lot of people. It's just a habit, you know, to come to church each week. We're supposed to come to church, but we need to think it through. Mind you, it's a good habit to come to church. I'm all for it being a habit. But one can sleepwalk through habits and not really worship. So that's the question. Are you engaging in worship when you come to church? Are you excited about coming and engaging in worship? Are you coming prepared to take up the praise that is due to God? Or is the praise just sitting there in silence, even as we are all here gathered round? Just because we've mouthed the words of the hymns and repeated the words of the prayer does not mean that praise has occurred. Praise comes from the heart. Praise is us from our heart telling God how great he is and how much we love and appreciate him. So we can learn some things about praise from David here. And David... He's anticipating. He is looking so forward to gathering with God's people at this feast and singing praise to him. He's, he's actually composing a psalm for that very purpose so he can praise the Lord with Psalm 65. Now, as David looks forward to worship in verses 1 through 2, and as he longs to take up the praise that is waiting there in Zion, this makes him reflect on how he is able to come to worship. How is he able to appear and have this close fellowship with God? Look at verse 3. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. See? Verse 1 and 2. Uh, the praise is there waiting. We're going to all gather together and you're going to get praised and vows made to you and prayers going to be made to you. And I'm so thankful, David thinks, that because of the Day of Atonement, that I can come and be near God. Blessed is the one who has chosen and who has, has been brought near to God. Desiring and anticipating fellowship and worship of God should make us think about how it is possible that sinners such as ourselves can appear in God's presence, a holy God's presence. Verse 3 is the key that unlocks the possibility of worship. We can't worship God aright unless verse 3 exists, unless God makes an atonement for our sins. We can't atone for our own sins. A lot of people try. They try to make a deal with God. Lord, I'll... I'll be good if you'll accept me. That's not the way it works. You'll notice here that God is the one making the atonement. God is the one who is choosing. God is the one who is drawing people near. God has made it possible. God has covered and removed sin. And that's the barrier to our fellowship with him. 
And it is the greatest blessing of all to be chosen and brought near to dwell in his courts, to be with him, and to be satisfied with the goodness of his house. God made a way for sinners to be able to come before him in worship. He made a way for sinners to be able to know him in a close personal relationship that David is enjoying. And God provided this because he wants it to happen. He desires that for us. He wants to know us in a personal relationship. It's why he created us. Our catechism, number one, tells us the chief end of man, the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To enjoy him. David here is enjoying him. And he realizes that it's because God has made atonement that he can enjoy him. Now, if David is excited about it on the heels of the Day of Atonement, how much more should we be excited about worship? Because we have something greater than David, even more confidence to appear before God than David had. He looked forward to our day. God, for us, has provided a once-for-all sacrifice of atonement so we can enjoy a relationship with him. See, we don't, have to, we don't have to celebrate the Day of Atonement on Tuesday. We don't have to make a sacrifice of a bull or a goat or send one out into the wilderness because he came once and for all. Christ has entered, Hebrews says, not into holy places made with hands, the temple, which are copies of the true things. See, all that David was looking at, the Day of Atonement, the Temple, the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, that's all pointing to something more true, more real. Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Sin causes God to cover or hide his face from us, but the sacrifice covers or atones for the sin so that God can deal with us graciously again. As I said before, that word atonement actually means a covering and refers to the way the blood of the sacrifice was sprinkled on the cover of the Ark of the Covenant by the high priest, covering that broken law. Christ has done that for us by sacrificing himself. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And through that great sacrifice, we are able to come near to him. We are able to draw near And that brings me to my second point of application here. Do we appreciate the sacrifice God made to make fellowship possible? Now, if somebody travels a great distance and makes great sacrifices in order to spend time with you, wouldn't wouldn't you be inclined to say, okay, you you may not even want to meet with the person, but they've traveled thousands of miles and they've spent all their money and they just want to hang out with you for a little while. Well, you'd probably say, well, sure, okay. If it means that much to you, I'll do that. We'll take the time. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did. He came as 
The hymn, hymn writer says, He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, oh my God, it found out me. Paul writes, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When we appreciate the sacrifice that God has made in sending Jesus Christ into the world to make an atonement for our sins so that we can have a fellowship with him, yes, that should make us say, man, I really want to go and enjoy that fellowship with God that has been secured by Christ's great sacrifice. Sunday morning with God's people to come with some excitement and anticipation to take up the praise of, of him who died, to sing it loud and to engage in the prayers, to be a part of worship. When you appreciate that sacrifice that makes it possible, it fuels our worship, it makes us want to worship. And not just on Sunday, but every day. Do you have trouble spending time in the Word and in prayer? Well, I would say meditate a bit upon the great sacrifice that Christ has made to make it possible that God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to spend time with Him. He wants you to listen to His Word. He, he wants to commune with you in prayer. Do you sense blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts? Are you satisfied with the goodness of his house, the holiness of his temple? Do you find satisfaction in it? Those are questions that we need to ask ourselves as we think about this psalm. Now the rest of the psalm just reflects on the more praise and more worship. Now he really gets into the worship, and I'm not going to go into it now because we don't have time, and I wasn't planning to anyway, but just briefly, verses 5 through 8 talks about God's mighty deeds, his works. And surely that's pointing back to the Exodus, which is the purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles, to remind them how God and his might provided for them, even through the rivers and the tumult, through the Red Sea. God made a great sacrifice. God, uh, God rescues his people, and he's rescued us. And that was what the Feast of Tabernacles is. And then from verse 8 on through 12, it just talks about creation. It's a beautiful, overflowing hymn of praise to God for his bounty. And surely that points to the Feast of Tabernacles and the great harvest that God made for his people. And those are the things that we should do in worship, to reflect upon what God has provided for us in Christ, in the great deliverance from sin, from death, and the great provision he makes for us every day of our lives, even in the material things of life. It all comes from his gracious hand and especially this opportunity that we have to be chosen to draw near to God. Now, I don't know who's chosen and who's not. God does the choosing. It's not for us to think about, really. It's just for us to enjoy the benefits. If you're here today and if you're inclined to draw near, then, then I think you're probably chosen. And that's all I need to say about that. Just grab hold of what God's providing and trust him. That's the faith that it's called for. No condemnation now I dread, the hymn goes on. Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. 
Do we have boldness and joy and anticipation and excitement about coming and being in relationship with God? All we do is have to come. All we have to do is come to the Lord. All we have to do is respond to all that he's done for us. I encourage you to do so today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we do pray that we would appreciate all that you've done to make it possible for us to draw near to you. And Lord, may we make it a habit, a good habit, a, a habit to, ex- with excitement and anticipation, engage in worship with your people corporately and in the privacy of our own homes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.